I think right now as speakers, it's a really good time for you to have severe empathy for the people planning the conferences, but it's also a good time for conference organizers to have severe empathy for the speakers because all of the speakers' income is gone. The people that only have speaking as their main source of income, but also the conference organizers who have spent sometimes two years putting together one single conference, everything that they have has been wiped away. everybody. I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. I don't know about you, but I have a totally different relationship with time now that we've been through the coronavirus. There's my life before the pandemic where I was a writer, a speaker, a coach, an entrepreneur. And then there's my life after the pandemic where who knows what I'm going to be, what you are going to be. And whenever I'm talking to people, I kind of see time as BP before the pandemic and AP after the pandemic. So I'm excited to bring you a conversation today with Lauren Davis of Lauren Davis Creative. BP, she was a marketer, a community organizer, and a record store owner. But her real strong claim to fame is that she does social media for conference speakers like me. AP, in the age of the coronavirus, She's launched a podcast about where the speaking industry is going, where conferences are going. She is helping speakers really connect with their audiences in a different way. And she's really all about community in a virtual world. I needed Lauren to talk to me about what's happening in the world of conferences. What's going on with speakers like me? How are they making money? Are they even making money? And are any of these virtual conferences, these web summits, any good for anybody? And we talk about what it means to have a conference in an age when you can't stand within six feet of someone. What does the future of events and networking actually look like? Lauren has all kinds of smart ideas and wisdom about the world of connection and community. So if you ever think you're going to go back to a conference ever again, sit tight and I'll be right back with Lauren Davis and more of Punk Rock HR. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Well, before we get started today, you're a fellow Midwesterner and you're located in Rockford, Illinois. So why don't you tell us about who you are and what you do in Rockford? Yeah. Rockford, Illinois, it's about 90 miles west of Chicago. And what I really do in Rockford and all over the country is work with tons of thought leaders, speakers, podcasters, and I help them bring their personal brand online through marketing and through social media. Well, that's a pretty fantastic job. Now, I I just want to say you do something else in Rockford that we have to mention. You, well, you tell us what you do. Yeah, I actually have a record store and gift boutique with my husband, Skylar Davis. Yeah. And so record stores are kind of retro and vintage. How are you doing in the age of COVID? Are you open right now? Like what's going on? When we're recording this, Illinois has just reopened our stores with some different limitations. So we are having a few people in the store at a time. We're doing masks because it's a smaller store. We can't really keep people as apart as we want to keep them apart. And we're just playing it by ear. We're just adapting as we go and and figuring out the best way. We have our website going so people can order vinyl online. And you know, we have been open for 14 years 
years. We've survived two floods. We've survived two moves. Like we can get through it. We're going to get through this. So we started this when we were, when I was 19 and he was 25 and we literally had no idea what we were doing. So if we can make it through that, we can make it through this. Love the attitude. I think you're absolutely right. And I know that you bring that attitude to the work that you do as a marketer. So specifically, you've got a real interesting niche in the world of marketing. Before COVID, what were you doing? So pre-COVID, I was attending a lot of conferences. I was doing a lot of traveling. I was both speaking at conferences and I was also helping and being support for a lot of my fellow friends, speakers, clients who are speakers and kind of catching those social media moments behind the scenes, catching those moments that you might not think about, bringing them online and really getting to know a lot of different conference organizers. I love conferences. I love it for the energy. I love it for the information. And I love it because I get paid. It's one of my primary revenue streams. And we can talk about that in a moment. But I know you're a fan of conferences. What do you love about a conference? I love going to conferences. I love traveling. And I love just when you're in a in-person live event at a conference with other people, you get to kind of work on those similar problems or maybe very different problems together, work together on those challenges. You really get to bond a lot. And the energy of being together with people and making those memories and bringing in experiential marketing to the picture too, all of that stuff create these memories that you're never going to forget. And you'll learn from those memories every time. Oh, that's really well said. Now, you're such a nerd for conferences. You have your own conference podcast. I am. I'm so nerdy about conferences. And I just found myself... I would be at conferences and I would look at other people taking notes. And I would see that they are taking notes on things like what the speaker was talking about or what takeaways, tweetables. And I was taking notes on how to plan conferences. I was just like taking notes on everything around me. Like, oh, it seems like no conference is safe from technical difficulties. (laughs) You know, some things like that. Like every conference has little things like that. Or, wow, I can't believe I can't find the hashtag anywhere on any of the marketing materials. And what I realized is that I was planning conferences in my head before I ever planned my own conference, which I've now had a conference in Rockford, Illinois for five years, a social media conference. But I just got really nerdy about all the little details, just like, oh, this is really cool how they did this, or this is really cool how they put these answers up on the screen as they were talking and live from the audience. Just little things like that were always in my mind. And those are the things I was taking notes on or sending notes back to my team. And I just got so nerdy about it. So yeah, I had to start a podcast on it because I was like, I need to talk to thought leaders and personal brands who are starting these conferences about how it really built their leadership and how this was a platform. Just like podcasting as a platform or YouTube as a platform, conferences and live events, it's also a great way to build your platform as a personal brand. Well, conferences are the single biggest differentiator in my life, especially pre-COVID. Years ago, when I left my corporate job, I had ideas about the world of work and I had a blog, right? But you only reach a certain number of people with a blog. And event planners would ask, Hey, are you interested in coming to this event? And I would say, well, I don't know. Are you going to pay me? And early in the days, they would say, heck no. Like, we'll give you a hotel room or whatever. And I'm glad I bet on myself. I'm glad I invested in myself in those early days because I learned how conferences work. I learned how to get on the good side of event planners. And I also built familiarity commonality, reciprocity with people, and they would invite me back and then pay me down the road when I did a good job. So conferences were the thing that put me on the map. And I just wonder what's all this going to look like now that we're in the age of coronavirus? 
It's so different now. So there's a lot of things that I've been thinking about with this because as you know, I have been talking to lots of different conference organizers and not the conference organizers like the event planner side of it, but the people who are the thought leaders, the visionaries that have these ideas to put these events together and who are the hosts and the face behind those events, right? So there's a couple of things I'm noticing. There's people who simply take the conference that they are having in person and then they say, we're going to make it virtual. And everyone cries. <laughs> <laughs> if only people could see my face right now. Yeah. Like, oh, that sucks. Yeah, Everyone cries. And then there's the other side of that. And there's the people who say, I am going to make it virtual, but better. And then there's another group of people who say, I'm going to make it virtual, but I'm going to make sure that those people have a ticket to the following year's conference. And so those are the three things that I'm seeing come up most often. I think right now, as speakers, it's a really good time for you to have severe empathy for the people planning the conferences, but it's also a good time for conference organizers to have severe empathy for the speakers because all of the speakers' income is gone. The people that only have speaking as their main source of income, but also the conference organizers who have spent sometimes two years putting together one single conference, everything that they have has been wiped away. So it's a good time for us to have empathy for each other. And then another thing is that I think it's a really good idea for both the speaker and the organizer of the conference to say, what can I do to make this better for the other person? What can I do right now as a speaker to make this the best case scenario for the conference organizer? Does that mean jumping on an extra call for an ancillary virtual event? Does that mean creating a video for their membership? There's a lot of different things that we can do on both sides of that. Mm, I love all of that. You know, one of the things I didn't hear you mention is having extreme empathy for the audience member, because there are a lot of individuals who go to that one conference a year and it's their PTO. It's the time away from the office. It's where they get to bond with their friends that they normally wouldn't see. And I feel for these individuals who come to like a big HR conference or a big construction conference, and it's their one weekend or long extended week away from their family, it's their me time, and they don't get it. And they're not going to replicate that through some sort of virtual experience, even if the virtual experience is terrific. So I'm afraid that we're going to lose a generation of people who loved conferences. I'm afraid they're never going to come back. They may age out or they may get promoted or they may just get furloughed and laid off. And then we have to do the work of developing trust and developing a relationship with this new generation of workers who may or may not want a conference. They may not know anything about it. Does any of that resonate with you? Yes. I think that you have a point there. I definitely think that that is a take that we're going to have to adjust to, especially with how fast technology is changing and also how fast software and technology is changing to meet the needs of people who want to plan virtual events now. There's going to be a lot of adaptation to make virtual events better. But I truly believe nothing is ever going to take the place of being in person with people. And I think we all know that because we're human beings and we desire to be next to each other. We desire to look each other in the eyes or to have clink that glass of wine. I mean, think about like sports, right? People are not able to go to sports games right now and they can watch them on TV every single time people play, they can watch it on TV, but there's nothing, 
there is nothing better than being for some sports fans. There's nothing better than being in the room while it's happening with that energy. Like I just got the chills thinking about it, you know, like I don't even like sports. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we miss But people. it's true. We know, we know what it's like to be next to people and have that energy and have that like feeling of bonding and that memory together with people. And I think that it will come back just like sports do. The thing that we have to realize is that it's going to come back different. So we're not going to go back to where we were. We're not going to say, oh, I can't wait for things to get back to how it was or back to normal. We're going to be moving forward and it's going to be different. Yeah. So what is that future state of conferences? What does that look like? Because if you talk to some people who have the big ideas and pull together these conferences, they're really looking at augmented reality and virtual reality and blah, blah, blah. And some of them are also looking to go back to the future where they get everybody together in Paducah, Kentucky or Des Moines, Iowa, because that's what they know that people love. So what does the future look like? Because I haven't heard it clearly articulated from anybody yet. I think that that is part of the issue of why we're all freaking out, right? Because nobody knows. And I'm a creative person. I feel creative and I also am like a helper, you know, in personality tests, like them or hate them, personality tests, I'm always the helper in like all of the different ones or the advocate. And so what happened is when COVID-19 hit and people were dying and conferences were getting canceled and things were happening with businesses all over the country. And the small business group that I run in my hometown was, you know, I was like the text hotline for support, which I opened my phone for that. I said, you know, call me anytime. I don't want to see anyone close. And I just ended up feeling so squashed because I was just like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't have the answers and no one has the answer right now. No one has that answer for businesses, for people, for the disease in general. Like there are no real answers to be found. For a while, I was like, how do I tell people what I don't know? Right. And so what happened was I realized that I don't have to have the answer. But in order to keep things going in the right direction, I have to keep creating. So what I think that that's the advice that I would give and what we can look to the future is don't limit yourself based on the ideas of the past. We don't know what will happen and we can predict and plan. And it is smart to predict and plan, especially for people who have the foresight to be able to do that. But the truth is they don't know either at this point. We don't know what COVID is going to do. We actually don't really have that much information on when it will go away. So we just have to kind of take things in little chunks at a time and keep creating and keep moving forward. And I think that's the best case scenario. Well, I really like that answer because it's optimistic, but yet it's also honest. And I think for me, what is a little frustrating as a speaker is that very early on, the crush was out there to go virtual right? And I would hear from organizers or event planners who, I swear, Lauren said to me, just give me anything. Just give me anything. Just give me content for my community. And my friend Jennifer McClure and I talk about this all the time. I'm not helping anybody and you're not doing your community any favors by just taking anything from me. That's not what people want in this world. They still want the best. They still want the creme de la creme, whether they're paying or they're not paying, whether they're in real life or through a computer screen, they want top notch content. And you don't spin that out on a dime just because you're out on the internet. So it was really super frustrating to me. So I wonder, have you heard this from other speakers? And what are some of the limitations of this push towards virtual? 
Yes, I have heard that. And I have seen evidence of many virtual events that seem to be put together on the fly just for the sake of having a virtual event. And what you said is extremely accurate. I don't think you should be putting out anything. I think that what the hosts and the thought leaders behind these virtual events need to really think about is what in the next three months is going to be extremely relevant and highly relevant to the the audience that it's serving. So is this going to be a relevant topic? Maybe it's COVID related, maybe it's not, but something that is relevant to the struggles that people are having right now in this moment, because we're not going to be able to tell what people should do a year out from now, but we will be able to tell them what they should do in the general span of time that they're living in right now. And so I think that if speakers can change their messaging a little bit to that, and if thought leaders are not only just saying, give me what you got that's relevant, but kind of helping prompt those themes and prompt those messages towards the speakers, then that will really impact the people that are attending those events in a really positive way because they're all struggling and they're worried too. We're all worried right now. (laughs) Everyone's worried, you know, but also the thing about thought leaders, the thing about speakers and the people that I work with is that many of us and many of you are energized by changes and by innovating and by problem solving. And so if we can kind of take those opportunities and put them together and and work them into relevant themes explicitly for the audience that it's serving, that's the best way to create content during this time. Well, so smart and so wise. And as you were talking, I was thinking about all of these virtual core live summits that have cropped up, not around conference organizers or big thought leaders, but just individual speakers for like, get a bunch of friends let's do a web series of some kind, right? Let's do this summit around a big idea. And they pull their friends together and they run it over either live summit software. And I've done this in the past myself or or whatever. They try to offer a take on something that's pretty relevant today. I've heard mixed reviews from an attendee perspective, as well as a speaker perspective, and even an event organizer perspective on these live summits that people stand up in 60 days. Because while it is helpful and the quality is good, It's a lot of content sometimes. It is poorly attended, like worse than webinars. And frankly, it's not giving people the kind of ROIs that they expect even from traditional webinars. So can you talk a little bit about what you think a live summit is like that? Like maybe explain that to the audience because I'm sure I did a terrible job. And then do you like them? Do you not like them? Like, do they work? Oh, I think this is my opinion. So I don't know if this is the best way, but this is what is working for me is on my podcast, I struggled for a minute because my podcast is to say, is all about live events. It's about the in-person feeling of live events. It's not about virtual web series or virtual hangouts or happy hours. So I was like, when this first happened, I was really kind of frustrated. I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to have a podcast about live events during a pandemic? You know, it's amazing how people pivot. (laughs) It is pivoting. That's the new buzzword too. So what I did was I made sure that throughout the entire episode, I really focused in on what it is that that person does to drive sales, to monetize. And I tried to make sure that the topics that I was talking about during the podcast episodes, like whether it was monetization, whether it's traffic, whether it was social media or marketing at an event or experiences at an event, I tried to talk about it and ask them questions that they could answer that would work now or 20 years into the future, no matter what it is. Like, how can we use these tools now 
and how can we use them later and things that would not be affected by the virus. And then at the end, I definitely nodded to the virus. We can't ignore it. You know, it's here and it's that it's ugly. And the fact is, I was like, should I even talk about this on these episodes? Should I even talk about the virus? I don't know if I want to make the whole episode about it because it is about live events, but I think we need to talk about it. So at the end, I would ask them the question to wrap it up. I would say, you know, obviously we cannot ignore that this is happening right now. What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on live events and versus virtual events? Do you plan to have a virtual event in the future? And so that's kind of where I gathered a lot of thoughts from these leaders. But I think that you're right. It is a lot of information. And so when I say make it relevant for people, what I mean is it doesn't have to be relevant as in like, let's talk about COVID-19 the whole time. It has to be relevant in how can we apply the principles that we are very good at, that it's our magic. It's like the closest thing to us. How can we apply those principles now, even in times of COVID-19? I mean, I get that. One of the key takeaways that I've learned from any sort of virtual event that tries to create connection with an audience is that the shorter it is, the better. (laughs) You know, like I sat through in the early days, these hour long presentations from thought leaders, you know, these conversations around like employee experience or things that I generally am interested in. And after about eight minutes, my mind was wandering. And you know, it's not just live summits that are out there, these virtual summits, but it's anything. Like when I watch something on my laptop that I love, like a music performance, or, you know, I I like a lot of bands. If I see them performing live after like 18 minutes, I'm like, all right, I got to do something else, you know? So this idea that you can take a virtual conference and have two people droning on for an hour (laughs) just drives me up. And then people will say, no, no, throw a poll in there, right? Or, you know, poll the audience or bring someone on live. And I'm like, doesn't make a goddamn difference. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still spacing out after 18 minutes. Yeah. Some of the most fun things I've seen in an online virtual conference is these two guys named Andrew and Pete in the UK. They had this conference that they decided to make virtual. They had to make up their minds in like a matter of three weeks because COVID, it shut everything down in a matter of a few weeks. And they had 800 people coming to this conference. It was a big deal. And they went virtual, but they just made it so much fun. It was just a nonstop party. And so I interviewed them about it on my podcast. And some of the things they did that they talked about were... And they just... They like broke down every little piece of it. It was really cool. But some of the things that they did were they hired a networking matchmaker to buzz through the community that they built, which that's another topic is building a community outside of just the platform, wherever you're watching the videos, building community with networking, with masterminding, stuff like that. That's super important. But what they did was they had this virtual matchmaker. And if you raised your hand and said, yes, matchmake me with people, she would matchmake you with other people in the event that were watching. So you could collaborate or work together or mastermind your different challenges together. And I thought that was just a really unique take. They also did something where they had the sponsor competition to create the funniest sponsorship video. So it was like watching commercials in the middle of the presentations. However, they were competing for funniest video. So all of the community was involved. They wanted to see what the sponsors were coming up with for their video. But it was also an ad promoting the sponsor. Oh my God, that is a good idea. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, that really is. And I think when the pressure is on, you might actually get something that's funny and not hokey. 
Yes. And then obviously adding humor to your presentations is always going to keep people involved. It's going to keep people on board waiting to hear more. And I'm sure that that is what makes you a brilliant speaker as well. Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) But I really love the fact that people, even despite my cynicism, are really trying to do it right and trying to create virtual summits that are presented live in an interesting way. It's hard though. And I guess that's where I kind of want to take the conversation as we start to think about some of the lessons here. Like it's going to be hard to create good content anyway, because people are just so distracted by social unrest, the pandemic, the election here in America. I mean, we are really fractured as a society and people come to events, whether they're online or in real life for some respite and they demand good content anyway. But, you know, speakers are human. Event planners are human. Conference organizers are human. And we're all operating, I think, under kind of a cognitive fog and a sense of we don't know what's going to happen next. So talk to me a little bit about the future and how do we create good content in uncertain times? My biggest thing is you can create content all you want. You can create tons of content around what you speak on, around what your magic is as a speaker. But it's not going to work if you're not engaging. And so what I think speakers have done right is that they have been engaging on and off stage for years. There's a lot of speakers who have been there. They take pictures, they shake hands after they speak, they chat with people, they answer their LinkedIn messages. All of these things are a big deal to the people that are engaging with them and the attendees that are engaging with them. It makes them lifelong fans of your work, right? Some speakers do not do that. And so now they're at a loss with this lack of engagement and they don't have those people that are rooting for them to get back on stage at some point. So I think what even the people who are great at engaging on and off stage and the people who have not been as motivated to engage off stage, I think what you can do now is you can start cultivating your audience from not on stage. So from your social media, from the content that you put out online, make sure that you're engaging with people in the comments, make sure that you're engaging in hashtags, make sure that you're answering your direct messages and really trying to help and create for the people that are there rooting for you. Because when you create content off stage and you're not on stage and you don't have that moment where people are watching you and you have their complete attention from the stage, you have to do a little bit more work. And that's one of those things where, you know, some people have been kind of doing that all along. Some people might have lost touch with that. And so now is really a time to get back in there, like get back in the comment section, start participating with people, start having conversations. And what you're going to do is you're going to just explode your audience for the next time you are able to get back on that stage. I love that. And, you know, at the very beginning of the conversation, you said you are a helper. So, and that's why I wanted to invite you to the podcast because you help in a variety of ways. And so it would just make me so happy if you could talk a little bit about how you help and how maybe you could help some people who are listening to the podcast right now. Sure. So I love, I really love teaching people social media. I love teaching specifically people building their personal brand, how to use social media. And so that comes down to a couple different things. I have a free Facebook group where people can participate and learn about all the different different social media platforms. It's called Understanding Social Media for Entrepreneurs. And then I also have my podcast, which is the Business Event Playbook, which breaks down all the different events that thought leaders are putting on. But what I really love doing is just like helping those small businesses, those 
entrepreneurs, those personal brands. And I do that through my nonprofit also, which is only in Winnebago County where I live. And it is a nonprofit. I started with a couple different small business owners in 2010. I had no idea what I was doing. Again, this is like the story of my life. No idea what I was doing. And I just knew that small business owners needed help. They needed collaboration. They needed a way to learn from each other. And I wanted to give them access to as much education as possible for free or cheap. And so I started this nonprofit where people would get together, they would learn together. And it's amazing. We have over 400 local businesses in it, about a thousand members. And it's, it's so much fun. And I have an amazing team. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to share some of those resources. And we'll make sure they're all in the show notes. Like everybody knows that. Go to the show notes, right? That's just podcasting 101. But we will have all of that good stuff in there. And if you could leave our listeners, the wonderful people in my audience with one thought about conferences or events or just humanity at this point, what's on your mind? What do you want to leave us with? I think just the concept of being severely empathetic. I think that is the main thing that I, that's kind of how I live my life. I always try to put myself in the other person's shoes and say, okay, they are seeming a little frustrated right now. What must they be feeling like? It doesn't seem like they're frustrated at me. It seems like they're frustrated with the situation. I wonder what's going on right now. And I think that we're going to encounter still for months to come a lot more frustrated people. (laughs) And I think that the best thing we can do is whether you are a speaker, whether you're an event organizer, or whether you're an attendee, try to look at the perspective of the other people involved, even when it's not your job to do so. And I think that it will help you feel better and it'll help a lot of other people feel better too. Lauren, that's well said. Well, thanks again for being a guest today on Punk Rock HR. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lauren Davis of Lauren Davis Creative. If you're interested in any information, we've got all sorts of good stuff in the show notes, and you can find that at laurierudeman.com forward slash punkrockhr-118. There's an awesome PDF you can download. It's a great takeaway. This episode of Punk Rock HR was produced by Danny Osmond and his team at Emerald City Production. I know you want a podcast because you email me about it. So head on over to emeraldcitypro.com for all sorts of tips, tools, and resources that are free and super helpful. Now that's all for this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. 